This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Uh, We are in a series on revival, and uh, specifically we're calling this Revive. And today and next Sunday, we're specifically talking about how the Bible works in revival, and revival personally, in revival corporately. The title of today's message is Getting Into the Bible. That's not a very exciting title, but I trust that it will serve us as we move forward together. Tim Keller defines revival like this. Revival is an intensification of the ordinary operations of the work of the Holy Spirit. So whenever God, through his Holy Spirit, does ordinary things, which are all supernatural things like give new life, like convict us of sin, like assure us of God's love, like make us bold in love towards others. Whenever God does that in a deeper way, or whenever God does that in a broader way in our lives and in our hearts, we look back and we say, God revived me. God revived us. And it's such a good situation to be in to know that you serve a God who desires to do that. He desires to reveal things to us. He he desires to take old things and make them new to us or make old truths feel brand new. It's kind of like when uh, you, you get used to uh, watching TV a certain way, and then somebody shows you, well, no, 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 this is TV in HD. Or now it's, what is it, Ultra HD. We're always like way behind on this. We got HD, and then it's like, oh, no, now there's Ultra HD or whatever it is. And then you, you, when you go back and like, at least for me, I've got, uh, you know, multiple channels. And then so, so some channels are HD and some channels are not HD. And so we came, we, uh, we came home from a date and the pals were watching our kids and they were watching the Olympics and uh, they were watching the Olympics on one of the channels that didn't have HD. And Michelle and I were just shocked. <laughs> we're, we're like, y- y'all been sitting here watching the Olympics for two hours and it's not in HD. Why are you not watching it in HD? Why? Because of the clarity and the precision. And you can see things so much better when it's in HD. And that's what God does in revival. He takes what's, what's we all see from time to time and he clarifies. He brings clarity. He deepens things in us. He broadens things in and through us. And that's, that's revival. Now, today, next week, we're talking about one of the oldest One of the most ordinary things that God uses to spark revival in us and to fuel it and to maintain it and to flow out of it. Nothing is older and nothing is more ordinary than the Bible, the Bible, and nothing is more powerful than the Bible. Nothing's more ordinary. Nothing is more powerful than the Bible. If you were to scan the history of the church and just 
explore the topic of revival throughout church history, you'll discover that every single move of God, every single one, was sparked when the Bible went HD in people's lives. It it wasn't new revelations dropped out of heaven and written in weird language that only a couple people could decipher. It's old truths getting clear in people's hearts and a deepening work and a broadening work taking place personally and corporately. So this morning, we're going to ask the question, why is that? How is that possible? Why does that happen? And then really, really, really practical, how do we get in on it? If it's true, how do we? We're normal people. We don't consider ourselves necessarily right in the center of some kind of historic revival. How do we get in on it? So why is it and how do we get on it? And uh, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy is near the back of your New Testament. And uh, I'm going to read verses 14 through 17 and pray, and we'll get going. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 through 17. Paul the Apostle is writing this, and he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Lord, we we believe that, even if it's the first time we ever heard that. And we ask, God, by your Holy Spirit, that the Word of God would triumph in our hearts today. That you would broaden in us what you want to sink deeply into us, your truths, and that you would make that deep, you would make that clear, you would make that precise, Lord, that you would give us very clear steps forward. God, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our paths, God. That you would help us this day. And you would, you would spark something in us today. In Christ's name, amen. Now, let's talk about what, uh, what Paul talks about here. Now, Paul is speaking to, to Timothy, his apprentice, his, his protege. Uh, Paul, who is writing this, is an apostle, and apostles write scripture. And he says all scripture is God-breathed. Now, uh, when he is writing this to Timothy, just a little bit of background, really briefly, Timothy has a confidence problem when Paul is writing this. He's young. He's a leader. He's being asked to do things that the apostle Paul started. So, If you've ever been in a situation where you feel like you're stepping into somebody else's shoes, you're wearing somebody else's coat, and you're launched off into doing what this other guy started or this other lady started, and you've ever struggled with confidence, can I do this? Am I able to to do this? Um, 
How am I going to do it? How am I going to pull it off? Paul's planted churches. Paul's writing scripture. A move of God has started with the apostle Paul. Timothy is charged to keep it going. Plant churches, keep it going. And he has a confidence problem. He has a, a timidity problem. He's, he's struggling. He's scared. And uh, it's interesting that the way that Paul wants to bolster his confidence is not talking about how awesome Timothy is. He doesn't say, you know what, Timothy? You're just a really great guy. And, you know, God's going to really use you. And you're really smart. And you're really sophisticated. You need to lean into your giftings and all that stuff. No, not at all. He roots Timothy's confidence in something outside of Timothy. He doesn't say, Timothy, go inward and just think about how great you are. You know, you just need to, you know, think on that. He says, actually, uh, you, don't, you don't have it all in you. And the good news is it's outside of you in the word of God. And that's why he says, remember what you were taught. He says, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing that knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. That's what he says. That's what's made you wise, Timothy. It wasn't great talent. It wasn't great gifting. It's that you are acquainted with the sacred writings. That's the Old Testament writings passed on from generation and preserved uniquely among the people of God that Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings that made him wise, not in a worldly kind of way. That's not what scripture does. Scripture makes us wise for salvation. That's being called out of the world and to a person through faith in Christ Jesus. So he says, Timothy, you're wise through the sacred writings because you've been called up out of the world and into a relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus. Remember how the Bible led you to Jesus very clearly, very consistently, very supernaturally. That's what the Bible has done in your life, Timothy. Never forget it. And then to root him even more solid in those truths, he talks about what scripture is, what that sacred writing is, and why is that? So, so Timothy, remember how the sacred writings led you supernaturally to God through faith and will lead other people. This is how this revival is going to be maintained among the churches is through this word. Why? Here's why. He says in verse 16, all scripture... All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture. Not a little bit of scripture. Not, you know, sentences or words inside a corpus of scripture or graphe is the word that he uses. It shows up over and over again in the Bible. He says all scripture, every single bit of it. Every single bit of the sacred writings that you've been acquainted with is breathed out by God. Now, I'm going to use the the Greek word. We don't normally quote Greek, but this is an interesting word that Paul uses here called theopneustos. All scripture is theopneustos. And so what that is, that's two words combined in Greek. Theo meaning God, neustos meaning God. 
breathed out by. So it only shows up one time in the entire Bible, and it shows up right here. He says all Scripture uniquely, uniquely, is breathed out by God. That's what it means. So some of your translations might say all Scripture is God-breathed. Some of your translations might say all Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, it has its source as God's creative breath. So you're supposed to think about Genesis chapter 1 when you think about the breathed out word of God. Something creative flowing from God produced something that in and of itself is innately, uniquely supernatural. It's supernatural because God creatively breathed it out. Now, how did he do it? Well, 2 Peter one twenty one says, no prophecy, and he's speaking about all of the Bible there, was ever made by an act of human will. But men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. So it wasn't as though God, you know, came upon somebody and through dictation, like a robot or something like that, just kind of scribbled things down on a paper. God used people and their, their personality. You can see their personality come in and through the writing. But they are people moved by, uh, that word actually means carried along by, the Holy Spirit. So God is the author of every word of Scripture using people, fallible people, messed up people. Yet God clearly revealing his will and his desires through the word, through people. Uh, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He says, we impart this in words. That's what he says. We impart the truth of the gospel in words taught by the Holy Spirit. So he just makes that very clear. These words that you're going to see are words. Words God used through a personality, through a person, through a history, yet taught by God. God did this. Now, It's not enough for Paul just to say all scripture is breathed out by God or has its source as God's creative breath. He wants to root Timothy in why that is. How is that? Now, how does Paul remind Timothy and how does God convince us this morning that his word is living? His word is alive, that it actually came from God. Well, notice what Paul, what Paul doesn't attempt In the verses that follow, Paul doesn't try to convince Timothy from evidence outside of the Bible. I mean, he doesn't go to, remember the history of this and and look at the manuscript evidence here of that. There is a valid place for all of that. In fact, when we look at this at the bridge, we go into some very specific evidences outside of the Bible that prove that the Bible is the word of God. And we look at manuscript evidence for the Old Testament and for the New Testament. It's astounding, absolutely astounding evidence, manuscript-wise. There's unbelievable evidence in archaeology. There's unbelievable evidence in prophecy, and specifically in the life of Jesus, the Messiah. There's crazy evidence in unity. And we talk about all of those things at the bridge. But Paul doesn't go into all of those things when he reminds Timothy that what he is holding in his hands is the breathed out word of God. He goes very practical and pragmatic, which is very helpful to us. 
very, very practical. He says, all scripture is God breathed, is breathed out by God. And what does it say? Profitable, useful, maybe your translation says. It's useful. It does things and it is profitable in ways that other writing is not. It does things in your life that other writings and other people and other things in your life cannot do and cannot produce. It works. I mean, really, really practically, it works, Timothy. You can trust it to do things that nothing else can do. He says it's profitable for teaching. Well, how is it profitable? Remember what he says here. It makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So how are all these people, all these people that are pagan worshipers, all these people that are lost in darkness, how are they going to come to life? Well, it's not going to be through your creative words, your creative energies, and all the stuff that you're going to bring to the table, Timothy. It's going to come through the creative word of God. God's word is sufficient and able to spark things in people's lives that will lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. Your confidence needs to just be in this book. Root all of your hopes, Timothy, in the power of of this book. It does things that you can't do, so lean into it. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Faith in the Bible is supernatural. Everybody get that? When you see faith, faith written in the Bible, we shouldn't think of something like, well, it's just, you know, everybody has faith. Well, well, in in a very small way, everybody has faith, but not the kind of faith that puts somebody into a relationship with God. Not the kind of thing that unites us to Christ. That's a supernatural work that happens in us and is maintained and flows out of us through the word of God. Psalm 19 says, 17 says, the law of the Lord is reviving to the soul. So the Bible assumes that we aren't just like physical people. We have a soul. We are spiritual people. How does the soul come alive? So the word of God. How does the soul reawaken? It comes through the word. How is the soul revived? It comes through, through the Bible. Well, why is that? Well, Peter will say it's because just like your soul is a spiritual thing, this is a spiritual book. And when the words of this book connect with the spirit of your soul, things happen. And it's deeply mysterious and we don't quite understand it, but that's okay because I don't understand my Apple computer. (laughs) There's a ton of things that are deeply mysterious to me that I just don't understand. But in 1 Peter, it says, you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In other words, the spirit, the same spirit that inspired these words lives in us and when Our spirit connects to these words. Boom. Something happens. Something sparks. We can't always always get that. Why why is that? Why am I thinking differently about that? Why do I have hope in this desperate situation? Why 15 minutes ago was I spiraling down and yet now I'm holding on to something? I'm holding on to something real and I'm thinking differently. Why was I lost in bitterness and anger towards that individual, but now I have something of an eternal perspective. Well, some happened. Some sparked. The Spirit of God revived. 
This is what I think of when I read that Spurgeon quote, that the gospel is like a caged lion. It doesn't need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. That's what the Bible is. It's like a lion, man. It roars. And we just look at this thing like this is some old dated book. And we just open this up, man. And we just read some of the supernatural words and it starts to growl and roar. And the truths start to take over. It's powerful. It's supernatural. It's not what you're bringing to the Bible. It is that on its own. Don't think you got to work up something to make it powerful. Just get into it. It is powerful. Let the lion out of the cage. So he says it's profitable for teaching. And notice what else? For reproof. Now, a reproof is a warning. Not everybody gets super jazzed up about warnings. Oh, I can't wait to get into my Bible in the morning because I just can't wait to be warned and reproved. You know? <laughs> Nobody's just really excited about reproofs and about warnings. But, but Paul knows and Timothy knows from personal example that warnings exist for our protection and for our safety. Jesus warned us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, who's he talking about when he says the thief? He's talking about the devil. We believe in the devil here at the church. If you're new here uh, with us, we do believe that there is a devil. We do believe in demons. We do believe in a spiritual dimension that is unseen out there. And uh, Jesus says the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. And we need the warnings. We need the reproofs of the word to protect us from onslaught, from constant attack. I think sometimes we think, well, you know, my life is supposed to be pretty easy and, uh, My life is supposed to reflect the image I put out there on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we forget that we are bombarded by attack. Hear me. All the time. There There has never been a season of your life where the thief has stopped his constant accusation of you and temptation towards you. Never been a time. Never been a time. His attack is relentless and the world's influence is relentless. It just keeps coming at you. And how how often do we remember past sins and feel accused and condemned? Well, because accusations never stop. They just don't stop. And, uh, and we need the warnings of the Bible to call us back to faith in Jesus, to remind us of who we are. I mean, not only do we need protection from the evil and from the darkness out there, Paul says, echoing the very words of Jesus about wolves, he says, remember Jesus said, be careful of the wolves that look like sheep. Paul said those, those sheep looking wolves after I leave 
They're going to be fierce. And they're going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. Well, how do you know who the, the wolves are? Well, they start to draw people away from the truths of the Bible and from the people of God towards themselves by speaking twisted things. That's what he says. He says they, they take maybe a truth of God, maybe a truth of the Bible, and then they just hone in on that. And so let's not think about this other thing over here that balances that out. And let's just expand on that. And it starts to become this mangled, twisted thing. And they start to draw people away from the truth. And we need reproofs and we need warnings. And reproofs and warnings work like gates. They keep bad stuff out. And we need bad stuff and evil stuff and dark things out. And it, it calls balls and strikes. And some mornings we don't like it and some days we hate it, but it says that's evil and that's good. Get away from that. Do this over here. Get a, stop filling around with all that darkness and get back into the light. And we need those reproofs. We need those warnings. Now, I'm not a fan of the show Walking Dead. I don't hate the show. I've just not seen it. Anybody watch The Walking Dead in here that you'd be willing to say in a church? <laughs> it's probably a, that's the dumbest question I've ever asked. Anybody in a church setting willing to say, oh, I love The Walking Dead. Watch it all the time. That's, I've only seen a couple of episodes. Actually, I've only seen a few scenes out of two episodes of The Walking Dead. But man, people w- talk about this show all the time. It's like the biggest deal ever. Um, I have no idea. I haven't seen anything that just seems that great about the show. I just haven't seen any character development or just, it just seems so cheesy to me. Uh, I don't mean to offend you if you're a big fan of that. But anyway, I'm not, this isn't a recommendation. Everybody needs to go watch The Walking. I'm not saying that. Here's just my illustration. I've only seen a couple of scenes out of two episodes and it was after the bridge. And, uh, I came away with, with one thing about The Walking Dead. Gates are awesome. If you've ever seen a, even a commercial of this, you get what I'm talking about. These, these gates are great. I mean, they're just like simple gates. But they keep those, that evil, dark stuff out there. And when the people, I just, the episode I saw, when they got out of the gate, they were super vulnerable, right? Inside the gate, safety and laughter and joy, right? Everybody's okay, at least... And until somebody becomes a zombie, then they got to kick them out of the gate. They got to get them out. <laughs> Outside the gate, darkness, fear, attack. And that's just a silly illustration, but that, that is, that, that's why gates exist. Warnings. And we wouldn't have to go too far around the room before we would have testimony after testimony that I didn't listen to the warnings of the gates of the Bible and I ventured out into the darkness and I was attacked. And we all know what that feels like, right? We need the reproofs. We need the warnings. This is how it it shows us again and again that it's breathed out by God. Well, notice what else? For correction. For correction. That just means to be set in a right direction. Sometimes we think, oh, I don't want... I don't want to be corrected, but don't have that negative imagery in your head. Correction means to be set right. You're going this way, and we need to be course corrected, you know, because we just wander off. We're sheep. Everybody remember that illustration? Jesus says, remember, you are sheep. I am the shepherd. 
Just embrace your sheepness, okay? We wander. We just, you ever see a sheep? You ever watch what those things do? They just do what other sheep do and they just wander off and they need protection and they need a shepherd to shepherd them and lead them and to guide them. And that's what the word of God does. God uses the word like a shepherd uses a staff to get the, get the sheep going in the right direction. Now, Jesus said, using the imagery of a vine, he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. In other words, you're at a place of total dependence, total dependence. The branch doesn't supply to the vine. The vine supplies to the branch. And he says, you are clean, you're pruned, and I'm going to keep on pruning you. But he says, you are pruned or corrected because of the word that I spoke to you. Look at that in John 15, next time you're in John. He says, you are clean because of the word, the creative power of the word. It just corrects us and moves us towards towards Jesus. It also corrects us in ways that no person can. You ever, can't. You ever try to be the Holy Spirit in somebody's life? Like this person just needs to hear this truth and I'm going to get in there and I'm going to say what this person needs to hear and it just blows up in your face. You ever do that? Don't do that this week, by the way. Please don't. Uh, We need people around us to speak encouragement to us and to bring correction to us. We need that. Please hear that. But the word does something that, that we can't do. The word of God is living and active, Hebrews 4 says. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. In other words, the Bible can get way deep down into the dilemmas and the issues and the, I don't know, I can't make sense of this, and get straight down there and separate those things for us. We need to know God, what do you think about this? And how should I respond to this? And I don't know how I respond because I'm so tempted in this situation or I'm so confused about this situation. The Bible has a way and the word of God has a way of getting down in there like a perfect surgeon with the cleanest, most precise scalpel and cutting away and saying, There's, there it is. And we need that correction because we are often confused And we need to be made, uh, we need the direction of God's word. Well, notice what he he keeps on going. He says, it's also useful for training in righteousness. So Paul says, you know, Timothy, you need to be trained up. You're not done. Now, it is finished at the cross. And by faith in Jesus Christ, your righteousness is complete because you are in Christ. But we are not all that God has called us to be. And we need to apply effort and hard work. You can translate that spiritual hustle to become what we are. God says, you are holy. Now, through my spirit, through the word, go and get trained up in righteousness so that you can be and show to the world what you are in Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul says in Acts 20. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up. The word of God's grace builds us up. We need to be built up. All right, well, don't we have everything? 
in Christ? Well, in a sense, yes, we have everything in Christ, but we aren't actively living the way fully that God would have us. And we need to be built up. Well, how do we get built up? Through the word. Through the word. That's what Jesus said. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then he he closes out his thought with this, that the man of God, now ladies, don't get, don't get lost on that. Is he just talking about men? No, he's talking about the person of God, the man of God. And he's not talking about pastors and missionaries there or Bible scholars. He's talking about you. So that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I don't know today what specifically you are tempted with right now that you think if I just have that thing, I will be complete. Man, if I just drop five pounds or 20 pounds, I'll be complete. If I just get that job or land that promotion, I'll be complete. If I just get that girl or that guy, I will be complete. If I just have that thing, I will be complete. Here's what the Bible says. This, through the power of the Spirit, makes us complete. It, it satisfies that longing in our hearts for some person or some status or some role that only God can give us because it leads us to Jesus. And uh, that uh, Jerry Maguire movie is wrong. No human being can complete us. No job can complete us. No status can complete us. Christ can complete us. And this completes us because it leads us increasingly to a fuller knowledge of who Jesus is. Notice what else? Equipped for every good work. Every single good work. Now, this is an incredible promise because I don't know exactly how God is going to specifically lead any one of us in here. I don't know what 2014 holds the rest of this year for you, but I know one thing based on this text, that this book will make you complete and equipped for every single work that God calls you into. Every single role that God calls you into, every single conversation on the job that you're concerned about, this book will complete and equip you for anything that you're afraid of or you're frightened by or you're confused by. This book will equip you for every good work. That's an incredible promise. What, What else in your life can make that kind of claim, can make that kind of promise? Where can you hold on to something like that? Anywhere outside of the Bible. Well, um, you might be here today and you're saying, that's all well and good, but I don't believe you. And I don't believe you because your argument is a circular argument. Or maybe you're taking it up with the Apostle Paul. You're just like, wait, wait a second. He's using a circular argument with Timothy. He's trying to prove the supernatural power of the Bible from the Bible. And you can't do that. That's a circular argument that begs the question. Um, Paul does not deny a circular argument. And I am guilty as charged. I do not deny a circular argument either. And the reason is because Paul and me echoing Paul are arguing for ultimate authority. 
ultimate authority. In other words, this is the highest and most supreme and sovereign authority. And any time that you appeal to ultimate authority, by definition, you have to use a circular argument. So be careful if you're here today and you'd say, well, I don't believe the Bible is ultimate authority. I believe science is ultimate authority. If I were to press you on that and say, well, why do you believe science is? You would probably say because it's scientific to believe so. Be careful that you don't say logic is my ultimate authority. Because often if you're pressed on that, you probably say, well, it's logical to believe so. Or reason is my ultimate authority. Why? Because it's only reasonable to think so. Or I am my ultimate authority. I've talked to people who have said that. Well, why? Well, because I've never been wrong. I've never, I've never been sincere about something and totally wrong at the same time. There's some people here today, you are sincere as a heart attack and you are totally wrong in your sincerity. Sincerity doesn't matter if we're not grounded on something real and true. Now, just hear me out. If, if you're a skeptic, I'm not trying to dog on you, but if you're a skeptic, just consider the Bible. Just consider reading the Bible, maybe for the very first time. Consider this, that for centuries, thousands of people have testified to the ability to hear from God, the creator God, the ability to hear from God through the pages of the Bible. A Bible that was written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors from all different walks of life. We're talking kings, fishermen, doctors, prophets, shepherds on three different continents with three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, with one consistent message of God's love for sinners in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, is it possible that all that was a conspiracy? Now, I am a conspiracy guy, so, you know, I don't think like Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone at all. Um, so is it possible? Is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? Is it probable? No. Maybe God's in it. Maybe it's supernatural. Maybe it is all of those things because it's God-breathed and it's worth your time to read and to consider. And for the rest of us, maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, I totally believe you. I believe all that. You've just spoke to the choir here today. But I don't really enjoy reading the Bible Maybe I did at one point in my past, but I haven't in a long, long, long time. Or I just don't know where to start. I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I read the Bible. I come to, I hear sermons. I listen to podcasts occasionally. I love worship music, but I just don't love my Bible. And I don't read my Bible. I don't know how to get into it. Well, I'm going to make a, a uh, um, 
observation here, uh, illustration here. Um, Let's be honest here. Getting into the Bible is like, the best illustration I can use, um, probably I'll think of something better tomorrow, is like getting into an orange, okay? You, you mean, you know it's good for you. People have talked about how good it is for you. Um, you, you know that if you eat that thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to probably taste good. I mean, if you smell it, it's like, mmm, smells good. But maybe you've tried to get in, into it, and you start to eat that thing. And it tasted kind of good, but it was really bad. I asked my kids this week, if I, if I just eat this thing, they're, they're like, well, it's going to taste really, really bad, and it's going to taste really good at the same time. So maybe you've tried to get into the Bible, and it's been like, I've tried. And I just, it doesn't taste good to me because it's like really bitter. Well, you got to get into it. You got to get into the orange. And the, frankly, it's just messy. It's just messy. It's not, and it's not easy. It's not convenient. There's been many times I've just passed up on an orange. You know why? Why? It's just messy and inconvenient. It's not easy. You know what's easy? Sunny D. Let's be honest. Sunny D is easy. And Sunny D is convenient. I mean, it looks pretty too. I mean, I was in the office earlier and I said, you know, Sam's like, can I have some? This was sitting right there on the desk. He's like, can I have some of that Sunny D? Well, because it's convenient and it's easy. And, uh, and listen, I'm not dogging on Sunny D. It says orange. There's some orange in here. In fact... <laughs> Right there in the label, it contains 5% juice. Listen to this. Water it contains water, corn syrup, 2% or less or less of each of the following. Concentrated juices, orange, tangerine, apple, lime, grapefruit. So listen, Sunny D has some orange in it. And it's good for you. And it tastes good. And we need Sunny D in our fridge. Everybody should have some Sunny D at home. Sunny D is great. I'm not dogging on Sunny D. I have lots of Christian books, lots of Christian books and, and Christian worship albums and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's great. We need Sunny D. It's convenient. It's right there. It's in your face. It's packaged well. And, uh, and it's got some orange in it. It's got some orange in it. I don't want to minimize the fact that Sunny D has got some orange in it. And lots of the books that you enjoy reading has got some orange in it. But the value of Sunny D, right, is because it has this in it. It has this in it. And this isn't as convenient as Sunny D. You got to get into it. And it's just messy. It's just messy. Makes your hands smell afterwards. Um, takes a while. You're like, can you hurry this thing up? Um, anyway, it takes a while to get into this thing. And, you know, if you practice at it, you can get into this thing really quick. There's all kinds of tools to get into the orange. How many of you guys have that little plastic tool? Uh, but if you don't know about that tool, you're just digging with your fingers, right? If you don't know about that tool, you're just like, you know, I got to cut into this thing. I got to get that stuff into my fingernail. Uh, it, tools are helpful, right? But it's, uh, it's just, it's a mess. It's a mess to get into it. But once you're in it, once you open that thing up, 
once you open that thing up, you got an orange, right? You got an orange. You're like, you're going to eat that orange? Yeah, I'm going to eat that orange. <laughs> mm. Oh, now, this is great. But this is an orange, right? Okay, so let's end this way. Anybody want some orange? <laughs> Stephen Shue, want some orange? Here we'll go. Okay, let's end this way really quick. How do we get into the Bible? This is going to show up on the screen. This is like... (laughs) My wife said the same thing. She's like, what? That's your first point? Yes. That's my first point. In order to get into the Bible, listen, you have got to get a Bible. I'm, I'm serious. You have got to get a Bible. Now, some of you guys, you're not reading your Bible, if I could just be honest, because you don't like your Bible. Somebody gave your, your Bible as a gift, grandma or some aunt or uncle or something like that, or you've had it for years and years, and it's just, it's just you know, become an heirloom for you, but you're not reading it because you're not enjoying it, and you're not reading it, or maybe the translation's not working for you. You need to get a Bible. You will not hear any pastor's say from the pulpit, you need to spend money on something. But I would encourage you in this way, spend some money and get a Bible that you're going to read. The ESV translation is a great translation. The NASB is a great translation. NIV is a good translation. It's better to go uh, word for word than thought for thought. There's all kinds of things about that. But what's the best translation? Here's the best translation, the translation that you will read. The translation that you will read is the best translation. So, so get a Bible. There's also all kinds of tools out there that you can use. I, uh, I access version from my phone. It's an app that you can get. You can get on your computer as well. ESVstudybible.org is an awesome uh, application that you can use. The temptation for me, though, is if I have my phone and um, I've got my, my Bible right there, is that I can just, man, I can jump over to Twitter in two seconds. I can check an email in two seconds. And there's that distraction. And so I'm a little bit old school on this. I really like the paper version. And if you've never enjoyed the paper version, you're, you're a young person. And th- this is called paper, okay? <laughs> Comes from trees. People have used paper for years. Get a Bible. There's all kinds of great Bibles. And a study Bible is awesome. An ESV study Bible is great. It's huge. Uh, Craig says you have to use a wheelbarrow to cut, cart it around. But uh, it's great. You can sit at, sit at your home. But get a Bible and spend some money and ask some questions about, you know, what, what am I going to invest in here if I'm going to buy a Bible? Just take some money. I don't, mortgage the furniture and buy a Bible that you are going to read. So that's step one. Step two, make an appointment. I think that's, I'm using that words, that language intentionally instead of just, you know, set up a time to read your Bible or have a quiet time. When I was growing up, it was, you know, have a quiet time. But I mean, I can sit in a quiet room and is that supposed to change me just sitting in a quiet room or just having a time? But when you make an appointment, you're making an appointment with a person. And listen, this is crucial. This might be the, the hindrance to why, you know, Bible reading is just not working for you. Maybe you're approaching the Bible as if you're just going to read words. 
Well, you are going to read words. Sometimes those words are clunky words. Sometimes those words you don't quite understand. Again, that's why a study Bible is so helpful. Because uh, it kind of keeps you, keeps you going. Uh, you, don't get lost in the commentary. Just access it and it keeps you going. And so you will read words. But you're not just reading words. You're meeting with a person. Okay? This is crucial. Now, the, this is actually a warning. Jesus says, said to the Pharisees who were Bible scholars. Nobody knew more scripture than the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So coming to the Bible means I'm coming to Jesus. Get that? Coming to the Bible means I'm coming to meet with God. I'm setting an appointment with God. I'm literally going to meet with God when I, when I read this, this book. So you need to plan when, you need to plan where, and you need to plan why. You can't, probably can't read Mark 135, but this is all about a plan. Your highest ideals and your biggest dreams fail right here. <laughs> For me too. When we fail to plan, we plan to fail. And you've got to make a plan. Um, this is a very spiritual activity to make a plan. Jesus, anybody more spiritual than Jesus here? Mark one thirty five. Jesus, it says, Jesus rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And that's incredible detail that Mark is giving us about the spiritual life of Jesus, how he prepared for the day and for his ministry. He got up early in the morning while it was still dark. He departed from people. He, Jesus will later say, close the door behind you. That's just an act, activity. Say, I'm shutting things out for, for my appointment with God. He went to a desolate place and there he prayed. You got to have a place and you got to know when you're going to do this. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do You're going to do it at your lunch break? You're going to do it in the morning? You're going to rise early? Are you going to stay up late? When are you going to do this? Now, listen, to, to make this happen, we are Americans. Uh, and we're ambitious Americans. We live in North Dallas, for crying out loud. For this to happen, you are going to have to cut something out of your life. You're going to have to either go to bed early and cut something out there. You're going to have to cut sleep out from your life. Or you're going to have to cut something out. Something's got to give. Something. That's true of everybody. There's nobody that's more spiritual that something, you know, you don't, well, I don't have to cut anything. No, you're going to have to cut something out of your life uh, to make this happen. Now, I don't say uh, too many strong statements like this, but I will say this. If you are too busy... If you are saying right now, I, I am too busy to spend any time with God as a follower of Jesus. I didn't qualify how long that time had to be. But if you're saying, I'm too busy to spend any time with God in his word, you are too busy. You are too busy. You're too busy. If you don't have any time that you can carve out, you're too busy. You're going to have to carve, carve it out. You're going to have to. This is the, maybe the hardest thing to do. Make an appointment. Where, where's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And are you going with the right motive to meet with God? 
Let's move through these really quick. Next, ask God for help. So you arrive at your appointment. You're there to meet with God. You're exhausted, tired. You're thinking about a million things going on that day or a million things that just happened that day or that meeting that you have to have right after this, this lunch break. And you're like, I can't concentrate. Great. You're in a great place to receive mercy because in the Bible, they couldn't concentrate either. And so the psalmist prayed prayers like this. Open my eyes, God, that I may, I may behold wondrous things out of your law. That's a prayer of saying, I can't see unless you open up my eyes. So open up my eyes so that I can see what's wonderful here. Because if you don't open up my eyes, it will just feel like words on a paper. But you can open my eyes. You want to open up my eyes. So God, open up my eyes. Psalm 119.36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In other words, my heart's going this direction. Correct it. Even before I start reading, move me towards your word because I need your help. I need your mercy. And so ask God for help. He is pleased when we come before his word. I do that all the time. God have mercy on me. Help me to see what I'm supposed to see. I'm so tired. I'm thinking about this or that. Help me. Help me. God's like, I'm leaning in. I will help you. Next, read and respond. So while you're reading, read and respond. You say, well, where do I start? Anywhere. All scripture is God-breathed and useful. Now, I I would say, start in a gospel if you've never read anywhere. If you've never read a book all the way through, start in Mark. Read Mark. It's 13 chapters. You can read a chapter a day. In half a month, you'll get all of Mark read. First book I ever read all the way through was 1 John. It's two or three chapters. And I just poured over 1 John. I was convicted. I, I didn't know my Bible. I was a Christian for many years and just never got into the Bible because it was so hard. Read 1 John, changed my life. It sparked something new in me. So as you're reading, respond. Be an active reader. This is crucial here. We are, we are passive readers. We read so many things passively. We read blog things passively, Twitter, you know, Instagram, Reddit, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's so many things that we're just constantly reading. We are readers, um, but we're not very active oftentimes. We're passive. We're just kind of sitting back and the information's coming. And sometimes we approach the Bible and say, well, okay, God, you're going to, I'm just reading. Okay. Uh, Nothing happened. Well, that's right. Because you're, you're a passive reader when you do that. Be an active reader. Engage with the author. So while you're reading, while you're reading, respond. God reveals something to you, respond. So in other words, worship. Say, God, you're awesome. I don't quite understand everything I read, but that's incredible. Respond back to him. If there's something that you feel conviction about, confess sin to him while you're reading. If you want to thank God for something, thank him. If you want to ask God for something, ask him. What helps me is I I read with a pen in my hand because I'm, I'm just so distracted and having a pen helps me underline things, circle things, star things. I have a journal or, you know, a piece of paper next to me. And so when I get distracted while I'm having a Bible reading time, I will write down whatever I'm distracted by. And oftentimes that's my to-do list for the day when I get done. So it's, off, it's out of my head and it's onto a piece of paper away from me. And now I'm back into the Word. So it's okay to, you're going to be distracted. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be thinking about a lot of things because you've got a lot of responsibilities. Use a pen, write 
what you're distracted down. Maybe that's a prayer. Maybe that's your, in your prayer journal. God, I'm distracted by this in my life. Can you help me? Can you apply this in my life? Next. Uh, so you're done with your reading. Maybe it was 10 minutes. Maybe it was 15. Maybe it was an hour. I don't know. But take action. Put it to work. Try to take it with you. And sometimes that's, that's hard. I just read the Psalms. I don't really know how to take that with me. Well, maybe you want to write that verse down over your day planner or put it in Evernote or something like that to remind you to give thanks to God throughout the day for his manifold glory. Maybe you read something like that. Or maybe you read where Peter steps out of the boat and you're like, God, give me the kind of faith today to trust you when my coworkers are talking and sharing that dirty joke, and I feel so awkward, and I want to make a witness for Jesus, and I just need your mercy, and I need your grace. Uh, make it real and practical, and write those things down, and, and then take action. Do, do what the Word says. That's what James one twenty two. Don't merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't be a, a Bible. God's not looking for Bible scholars. He, he doesn't need a single Bible scholar. I mean, that's not to say we, we shouldn't engage with the academy. We do. But we, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers, you know, in some kind of think tank, some kind of ivory tower. We want to take action. We want to put the words of Jesus to action. Lastly, don't give up. See number three. <laughs> don't give up. Don't give up. Man, some of you, you've, you've tried reading the Bible, you've tried a plan, and then you gave up. Just, you, you just can't quit. A disciple is, that root word is discipline. It's going to take discipline. If you think this is going to be easy, you are in, uh, let me splash some cold water in your face. This is not going to be easy. If you think revival in your heart is going to come through just pass, passivity, it's just going to happen. It's it, it not how it works. It's going to engage. God is going to work in us, but as he's working in us, he wants to work through us, and that is going to take our effort, and we can't give up. John Piper says, raking is easy, but all you get is leaves. Digging is hard, but you might find diamonds. Think about that this week. You're like, man, this is digging. I'm in Colossians, man. There's a lot of digging here. Or I don't quite understand this. Or it's just, I'm tired. But I'm digging, Lord. I'm digging. Well, you might find diamonds that's going to light your heart for God and give you faith for the day. Psalm 119 says, The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Let's, let's stand and let's just take a moment before the Lord. How is God calling you to respond today? You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.